everybody. Welcome to another recording, a live recording on Facebook Live of the Impact Nations podcast. This is episode 2-3, uh, and this week we are chatting with Christina Stewart. I call her mum. Uh, you can call her Christina, although I know in <laughs> Africa they combine the two and call you Mama, Mama Christina. Christina. Yeah. So, um, and a few uh, spiritual sons call me Ma. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I got to turn down. Sorry, I'm, I'm louder than the last time. Here we go. Uh, I'm I should have checked that so earlier. You're tricky. quiet. Yeah. So we're just gonna move it a little closer. They call me leather lungs. <laughs> okay. Um, well, welcome again to the Impact Nations podcast. Uh, this week we're chatting with our Journeys of Compassion director, Christina Stewart, uh, and. As we've been doing each week, we're just going to get to know her a little bit better, uh, just hear her story about her walk with the Lord and what brought her to this point in her career and in her ministry, and kind of where she's going from here. So, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad we caught you because you're about to leave town again. Yes. You've been in town for about seven days, and now you're gone again for about a month. Yeah. Um, you're a very busy lady. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, perhaps we could start at the beginning, uh, as we have been doing, uh, just in terms of what's your story? How did okay. you come to faith in, saving faith in Christ? And uh, yeah, what did that look like for you? He'll be interested. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Um, I grew up in Toronto. Uh, mom, dad, five kids. I was the only girl. We went to the Anglican church every Sunday and, um, you know, Christmas and so on. Uh, but as a teenager, uh, my dad kind of fell away from that. My mom pursued it. I kind of fell away from that. Um, I met Steve when I was 15. Uh, we uh, started dating, dated for four years, uh, got married when I was 19. He was 21. So, sorry, just to interject, for yeah. those who don't know, which you know, that's probably not the case, but um, there may be somebody out there who doesn't know who Steve is. Right. So he is, uh, in addition to your husband and my father, is the the founder Founding. CEO of Impact Nations. Right. I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that. So um, we, our marriage actually was kind of rocky at the beginning. He was feeling fairly desperate, cried out to God, got saved on his 15. own. Sorry. And <laughs> That's my bad. This is why we do things live. There you go. Um, <laughs> and so he got saved all by himself, cried out to God, um, received Jesus, uh, we kind of went into crisis mode, and eventually someone identified for me that um, we, were in the, uh, we were in a war, and that's exactly how it felt like. And, and they said, you know, Satan knows that God has a plan for you individually and as a couple, and he's trying to destroy that. And so um, that really rang true with me, and he prayed with me, and three weeks later, uh, and he said, would you be willing for God to show himself to you? Would you be willing to come to church? And then three weeks later, I stood up in a charismatic church in Vancouver, British Columbia, and um, received the Lord. So I'm, I'm just curious. You, you say that rang true with you. I mean, I would think that most people who are not already walking with the Lord, if they heard Satan is battling, doing battle <laughs> over your life and your marriage, that would either confuse them or freak them out. It's like I was walking it out. We we had been we had never had a fight when we were dating and then after we got married we started fighting and it got worse and worse. Um and then when Steve got saved and then about six months later he got filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when it really went I it was like I became some other person. I was I was just so stressed and upset and 
So when he said there's a war going on, I went, yes, there is. <laughs> and I had, you know, I, I grew up in the church, but I'd never had anyone talk about Satan before. But it, I just understood those words. It made sense to me. Hmm. Um, so you stood up in the church and you prayed a prayer? Prayed a prayer. Started going to church. Um, and we continued there for many years. Steve eventually started a Christian school with them. Um, and then in 1984, we uh, went to a John Wimber conference, and we both had this response of, that's what we want to do. We want to do the stuff. That's what he always talked about. And uh, went back to that conference the following year, and then in um, 1987, we made a decision to um, uh, become church planters with the Vineyard Movement. We moved to Stratford, Ontario where John and Carol Arnott lived. Um, Steve had met them on a ministry trip previously. Um, so we were there, we joined with a group of people, and then we eventually planted a vineyard church in Cambridge, Ontario. Um, we were there for nine years, grew really fast. We planted out other churches, we moved back to Vancouver. We hauled these four boys around a lot. Um, planted again, and, uh, and then... Um, at one point, made us, we were on the board for Vineyard Canada. We, we loved our friends. We worked well with them, but we felt God was calling us into some different things. And so we left, planted a small church, and then um, started the Vancouver Healing Room, started the Vancouver House of Prayer. Steve likes starting things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, me, not so much. But, um, you know, all through this journey, I really just felt to support him and do whatever I could to help. And... So in the vineyard, uh, while raising the boys, uh, I did some uh, school teaching, substitute school teaching. I hated that job. I told God I hated that job, but we needed the money. Um, but years later, and I'll tie that in later, why that was an important season for me. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I helped train the ministry teams. Um, when the healing rooms came along, uh, so I think you guys started the House of Prayer first. You were the worship leader for that. Mm -hmm. And then when the healing rooms came along, I, I had my usual argument with the Lord. I don't want to be the one standing in front of a room talking about healing. I have too many questions. I'm too disappointed. And the Lord said, that's exactly why I want you doing this teaching, because you're willing to ask the questions. You're willing to be honest about your disappointments, and people need to hear that. And so, um, so we started doing that and became the directors for healing rooms in Canada. One of the things that was really significant for me at that time was that God showed me that every time I had someone standing in front of me asking for prayer, it was like they had a question mark over their head. Like, maybe God will, maybe he won't. Maybe he wants to, maybe he doesn't. You're talking prayer for healing? Prayer for healing. Okay. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've been praying for people for years, but always with a question mark. And so what God showed me was I had a hope-so faith, not a no-so faith. Hmm. And so I asked him, okay, how do I get there? And what I did was I spent months and months um, reading every single scripture on healing, reading books on healing. I, I journaled all the scriptures. I um, did all the cross-references. So I always describe it as if this is the plumb line on healing, my faith was based on my experience. So it was out of plumb. So I had to renew my mind and bring it into line with what God says about healing. And that was a really important journey for me, and it really helped. Because um, I used to cringe if, if Steve would say, um, well, Jesus will hear you now. I'm like, that's kind of bold. 
And then I came to the place where then I could say that myself. So I just, I had to take that journey for myself and definitely did see an increase in healing. Um, so some people know the story that when, see, so we started doing a lot of work in South Korea. We were doing seminars there. Um, along in that journey, one of the things that I encountered was um, some ministry out, that I received out of Toronto Airport Church um, on inner healing, and it was called the Encounter Weekend. Friends came out and did it for our church, and it was something I grabbed a hold of. I saw the value of it, and I saw the freedom and the healing that it brought people. So I started investing a lot of time into that. And then we started speaking in South Korea, and um, I started doing that there. So I found something that I felt was um, more uniquely my own in the midst of our ministry together. And so I've been, I'm still doing that seminar. I rewrote quite a bit of it to work for myself, you know, made changes. But um, I still really see the value in that, and I'm still using that material today. Um, so when Steve was turning 50 and flying back to Canada from South Korea, the Lord said, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? You can do anything. And uh, that's when he um, launched his dream of rescuing lives internationally. Um, we had always had, as you all remember as a kid, we always had Ministry of the Poor. It was a high value for us as a family and as a church. And these guys used to come out and help lead, whether it was sermon evangelism or Ministry of the Poor, they would they'd be right with us. And um, so I think God looked at all of those years of that desire and that faithfulness, and he just opened doors. So all of a sudden, we were being invited into other nations to minister to the poor. Because Steve said, I want to rescue them spiritually, economically, educationally, vocationally, like every way. And, um, and we didn't know what that would look like, but here we are all these years later. He just turned 66, so it's 16 years since that heart cry. Um, do you want to keep going? <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so in the first few years, I went along on the trips to help with the ministry and help run them. Uh, I didn't have a specific job or role. Um, but in 2008, uh, our COO at the time said that he thought that I should be the new Journey of Compassion director. And you had been, I mean, the ministry, that, how many journeys were, was Impact Nations doing at the time? Oh, a just couple a, a, year? a few a year, yeah. yeah. Two or three sort yeah. of thing? Yeah. yeah. And you were on each of those I trips. I was on the trips and, you know, helping out somewhat with the planning, but not as a, not as a paid position, not right. as, nothing was dependent on me mm -hmm. specifically. So I said to this friend, Doug Penner, I said, um, okay, so I, I barely know how to turn on a computer. I don't know how to look at a spreadsheet. I'm not great with paper. I don't want to have to deal with money. What part of this job do you think I can do? I'm okay with the people part. <laughs> but um, he trained me, and he had confidence in me, and Steve did. So um, here we are all these years later, and I think we did nine trips last year. Yeah. Um, and I think I was on seven of them. So it's been a, a big combination of... Um, all the preparation with our partners, with our travel agents, and uh, with the teams, and then on the ground leading. Um, and, you know, leaning more on the logistics side, certainly, but also getting out and doing ministry as much as I can mm -hmm. in the midst of that. So, so I'm, I'm curious, because you have been on 
you know, the majority of journeys for the last, uh, the first one was 2005, is that right? Well, I don't know if it counts. It's 04, hard. 04, yeah, 05, it's hard to say. yeah, somewhere in there. Um, and we'll talk about what journeys of compassion are in a minute in terms of what they look like today. But I'm curious, what are those first, first journeys look like? <laughs> Probably not stories I want to tell. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's always logistical things that don't work. There's, that's just a given. I mean, probably the most, the country we've had the most trouble is in Haiti mm-hmm. because um, many people will know that I was actually in the earthquake in 2010 and everything was destroyed and God rescued me and it was amazing. And so we've been back many, many times. But those first few trips back into Haiti, there was no infrastructure. I remember um, one hotel I think Gowrie's room flooded three times in a few days. Mm. And, you know, stuff like that. Like, you just can't plan on things like that. Can't plan on things like people's luggage don't show up and they haven't actually put anything in their carry-on to help them if that happens, even though we tell them to. So, yeah. Um, And then, but I think probably the biggest thing in those early days was just the thrill of seeing God move powerfully. Mm. And you know, praying for person after person and then getting healed and healed and healed and then watching um, salvation come to villages, transformation come to villages. And uh, it was, like, it's a ton of hard work, but it's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, I don't want to pick on you, but you, because those things are still happening. You know, we see hundreds of salvations and healings during a journey now, of course. You say the, the thrill of that. And is there a risk of... Those of us who this is our our world, our life, our business, whatever you would, of <clears throat> us becoming, I don't know, accustomed to that or numb to that and that becoming less thrilling? Like, Mm-mm. no, it's still, <laughs> still a thrill. No, I mean, most of us that have done multiples of these could tell you standout story. I remember one time praying for like a three or four year old in Nicaragua. She had this huge hernia sticking out of her belly and... Um, so we prayed, and I was with Monse, my translator is also a doctor. And so we prayed, and, and then we checked, and I was like, I said, Monse, you're a doctor, can you just check this? And she goes, yeah, it's gone. <laughs> and I mean, honestly, it's been sticking up like this, like, just gone. Like, yeah. it was just, how does God do that? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> the, the responses of those who get healed is, is varied, too, because some people, I was watching a video of you on the streets of Bulgaria yeah. from a year ago, yeah. uh, and this woman is like, I mean, her eyes look like yeah. they're bugging. Like, it's almost cartoonish. Her eyes are, yeah. oh, she's, she's squawking away in Bulgarian, and it's gone. It's gone. No, no, I can see. I can hear. You know, yeah. she, and yet other people I know when we pray yeah. for them, you know, and they're healed, and they go, yeah, it's better. Thank people you. ask me about away. that, and I... <laughs> You know, you don't say it, but sometimes you feel like saying to the person who's going, yeah, it's gone, tell your face. <laughs> you know? Tell your face. But I tell the team, I almost feel like people are in shock. Mm-hmm. Like that pain or that blindness or deafness has been with them so long yeah. that they almost can't believe it. Steve tells a story of a woman with a huge humpback being, her straightening up and the, and she's the hump is gone. But she's walking around trying to find it, you know. Yeah. I had one where uh, I prayed for a woman with asthma in Haiti, and a young woman. And I said, uh, okay, so can you do something you couldn't do before to see? Because she had been struggling even when we started praying for her. So we're on this field. There's a light. It's pitch black outside. She takes off out of my vision, and she runs the entire field. I thought she was just gone. Hmm. And then she came running back and she said, it's gone. You know, she, her asthma was healed. So you just never know. Yeah. 
so we've talked about some of the, the healings and things and, and some of the goofy stories of floodings of hotel rooms and things like that. But uh, if you could, just give us a bullet point list of the sorts of things that happen. What is a journey of compassion? Sure. Um, there's a few different kinds. It depends on the country we're going to. Um, one of our most common events is to hold mobile medical clinics, in, in usually in villages that don't have any medical services. And our dear friend Heidi Dunbar started that back, I don't know how many years ago, um, and we've just kept improving it. So now we can walk into a village and set up a medical clinic within an hour, and we can see probably 300 in a day. Um, you know, people say, well, I'm not a medical person. That's okay. We, we need some doctors and nurses, and we take dentists, but we need lots of help just to make the whole thing run mm-hmm. and um, for a prayer team. So everyone rotates. They do different jobs on different days. So medical clinics is a big one. Of course, water filter installation is another huge one. I like that because not only are we bringing clean water, but it gives us access in the village to people's homes. And so that's just really neat to be able to go and know you're providing a life-saving something for their, not just for that family, but they share. And uh, so we have lots of testimonies of where sickness just stops because a school gets clean water or a village. So I love that. Um, we also do a lot of food giveaway. Um, when appropriate, we do uh, treated mosquito nets. Um, so a typical day is the team uh, meeting for worship and prayer at the start of the day and then traveling to a village, um, doing whatever ministry we're going to do. Whenever we can, we'll do an open-air gathering. And we don't try and do thousands and thousands of people. For us, one of the things that's super important is the follow-up. And so Um, We want to be in villages where we know that if someone comes to Christ, they're going to have a follow-up visit within a day or two and and hopefully get established either in an existing church or often what's happening now is new house churches are starting because these are more remote villages. And um, so uh, we'll do that. We stay in a local hotel. We eat uh, food either in the hotel, restaurants, or sometimes we hire a caterer. Uh, so we want to make sure the food is safe, uh, the water is always safe, um, the hotel is so we can get a decent night's sleep. Some trips, there's long travel each day, but we try to avoid that. Um, and then um, we start it again the next day. Every trip, we take a day off, try and see some of the local sites. On a Sunday, we'll divide the team up and go into as many churches as we can, and people get a chance to preach and share the healing model and um, share testimonies, pray for the sick. So it's cool. Hmm. So let's talk medical clinics for a few minutes because i got a couple questions on it. One, uh, like how many doctors do you have typically on a team? Usually only three, you know, and it's a combination of doctors and nurses. Okay, so how many doctors and nurses? Yeah, so yeah. three, four, sometimes more. And then you enlist so what a few we, locals as well? Yes, yeah. we always, and sometimes we hire them. Um, it depends. Some countries have regulations, not all. And what we provide is a list of all the medication that's available to them. We have kind of a standard list that we we do. We buy most of our medicine in-country, um, and we divide it up for the number of clinics we're going to use. So each day there's a fresh supply of medicine, um, and we just have a flow that goes through the whole clinic, and um, it's very easy for people to access what they need. Lots of over-counter medicine, and then we also have a pharmacy for, um, you know, the antibiotics and mm-hmm. things like that. So there would be... I don't know if you'd call them cynics, but certainly some would ask the question, you know, what good is it to, you know, treat somebody in a village somewhere in Africa or Asia uh, with, 
you know, a few days of over-the-counter medicine like Tylenol or something, are you, are you, are you really helping? Right. So why, why do we do it? Why is it so important for us to right. be there for that day yeah. to serve those people? A couple of things. One, um, every single person on the team is communicating the love of the Father. And our message to that village is God cared so much about you that we came all the way around the world to come to your village mm-hmm to give you some medicine, to pray for you. And um, that is a message that communicates. People people are astounded by that as we minister to them. I've had people come up to me with an empty pill package in their hand. And it might just be Tylenol, you know, acetaminophen, paracetamol. Do you have more of these pills you gave them to me last year? Hmm. And it means something to them. We used to um, give out, uh, we always gave everyone um, vitamins. And very much with a question about vitamins, like what good is 10 vitamins? Yeah. And I just hold it up and I say, this is hope in a bag. So now we focus more on doing that for the prenatal vitamins in the kids. But nevertheless, um, there are things that we can give people that can, you know, one of the huge things we see is uh, fungal infections. And if you've ever had a fungal skin infection, they're horrible. They itch. So giving someone a tube of clotrimazole that's going to last them for months, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It changes their life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, or a whole family that has scabies, and you're able to give them all the treatment so they're not going to have that skin disease anymore. It does make a difference. Yeah. And it brings them out, and we can pray for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a touch point that exactly. opens the door for the gospel. Yeah. And when we have enough team, we'll do a whole children's program, you know, where they're playing games and coloring and... Um, singing songs, and mm-hmm. so that's great. So we need team people come and join us. <laughs> yeah, so who are these people who are coming on these trips? It's amazing. It's word of mouth mostly. Um, honestly, it is. Uh, we were just in the central coast of Australia, and I think there's 80 people just in that sm- smallish community that have all been on journeys. And it's all thanks to you guys asking your friends. And um, the trouble is, it's like potato chips. You can't eat just one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I think my friend Lynn Ryan has the most. I think She thinks she's been on about 30 journeys. My goodness. Gowrie's probably pretty close to that, though. Wow. <laughs> and so we have nurses and doctors. You know, the thing about medical people is the reason they went into medicine, in part, was because they love people and they mm-hmm. want to make a difference. And so when they find out that they can come and do this frontline medical clinics and help these people who would never see a medical person... They love that. And so a lot of medical people come back every year. And so it's funny because some people have their favorite country. If we're going there, they're there. Other people, they want to do a different country every year. So um, it's exciting for us in the office. You know, we just wait to see who's going to register. And it's, it's, it's like a reunion. Every, every trip is like a reunion now. Yeah. We didn't expect that. We didn't expect family to come out of this. Um, and it very much has. People Did are you have any expectations when you started? I mean, it, it sounds like this the whole thing was started kind of... As things are, I suppose, almost by accident, where yep. you just, you know, you did one and then and that went well and you yep. did another one sort of thing. Exactly. But do you have, at what point did it suddenly kind of click or it was like, oh, we've got something here? I don't, I'm a slow processor. <laughs> <laughs> Ask your dad that question. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a picture, and I don't remember what year we were in Mexico, but I have a picture of a man in the customs lineup in the airport. And it's a man from England and a man from, I think, Canada. And there's like these lines in between them. But the guy from England sees his buddy over here that he saw on the last trip. And he's practically leaping over hmm. the line to get to hug on his friend. And I, and I looked at that and I was just amazed. And then you start finding out 
that people are vacationing together. And it's amazing. It's just, or they, they'll write to each other, hey, I'm going to Kenya. Are you coming this year? Yeah. So that's cool. Hmm. So you, you mentioned you were on seven of the nine journeys last year, which mm. is crazy. Yes. <laughs> um, this year, a little four, bit less, I four, four, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then next year, about the same, about four or so. Uh, I'm hoping not. <laughs> Maybe less than that. Yeah, yeah. I, I so just what, don't remember. What we've been doing over this the last couple of years yeah. has been raising up people. So now yeah. we've, it's been really good process. And Tim's been super helpful in that to identify people who could be leaders for the ministry times or for the logistics or for the medical. And so we've worked really hard at training people and identifying gifting. And it doesn't always work, but we love giving people a try. That's one of the things people say to us all the time. Like, you guys just... You, you and Steve, you just trust us to go and give it a whirl. And and we're, we have a high tolerance for mistakes. Mm-hmm. We all make them, and that's how we learn. Um, and so we've we've really been working hard at training people. We recognize we're getting older, and we it's a, a pretty big <laughs> schedule to keep. So that's been great, to raise up other people, to empower them and release them. And... Um, one of the things for me in my mid-60s that, that I really want to shift more into is the rescuing women out of prostitution. And right. that's been something we've done in a small way in Cambodia, in a small way maybe in Uganda. But um, where I'm having the most fruit out of that is in Kenya because of our partner, Mike Brown. And Mike just has a heart for um, anyone who's disenfranchised and, and disadvantaged. And so... When we partner with him, we see um, many dozens of women come off the street, and he has an amazing program of discipleship and business training and uh, microloans and getting them set up and running their businesses. Yeah. So you're actually you're going to be doing this in October. Kenya. With yeah. a, it will be a journey of compassion. Exactly. And we do one of these each year, but it is specifically for women exactly. to come on the journey. So yeah. it's just a team of women, and it is specific for... For, right. Well, you do two things. You do a women's conference, typically, and you go to the streets. Can you tell us the process for <clears throat> what does it look like to rescue women on the streets? Sure. And, um, you know, men men could be involved in that journey as well, but I'm, I'm really sensitive to the fact that a lot of women, whether it's Westerners that are on my team or women we're reaching out to, a lot of women have been used and abused by men. And I just, I feel like we can create a safe space to start with. And we partner with the men in the church. They provide security for us. Um, they do our transportation. And so, um, but I do like to do just women. And so what we, I, it started a few years ago with Mike. I said I thought I'd do a one-day women's conference. Well, that's now grown to three days. Um, and last year there were over a 1,000 women from a lot of different churches attended at his church. And I, we were just astounded. Um, so that's one thing that I love doing. And a friend of mine said, you've got to be the only person that plans a three-day conference and doesn't know what anybody's going to speak about. Um, each year, I just ask the Lord for a scripture and a theme. This year, um, the theme is fearless. Nothing is impossible with God. And so I'm excited about that. So we, so that's one thing that we do. We also, during that, we'll make one-on-one appointments with women. So it's not all conference but and ministry during the conference, but also taking time. Because there's, especially women in ministry, don't get that. Mm-hmm. And so the, one of the neat things is, and this happened a couple of years ago, and I didn't expect it to. So we, 
one evening of the trip, we go out on the street. We've already planned a place, whether it's a, a meeting room in a hotel or some kind of little classroom. That's where we're going to invite women to. We go out on the streets in a crew. We, um, we, uh, last year, we only walked one city block. There were so many women out. And we just say to them, hey, we're out here praying for people. Can we pray for you? And they always say yes, and we pray for them. And then um, we tell them, hey, we're just we're going to gather some of your friends. We're going to have some refreshments. We want to hear your story. We want to pray for you. Would you like to come? And last year, we walked literally one city block. By the time we got around the block, there were over 80 women lined up to come and meet us. Where did they come from? Were they all gathered on the street just mm -hmm. waiting to pick up work for the night? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what does that look like? Like paint us a picture because most people who are listening have never been to the streets of Kenya right. and it would be a very foreign concept, a scary concept to go out and interact yeah. with these yeah. women. What are you feeling? I mean, perhaps now it's a little bit more uh, routine or something like you right. know what to expect. But I mean, when you first started stepping into these environments, what were you feeling? What, what were you afraid of? Or I, I think that I was so aware of their need and I was so aware that they didn't want to be there. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, you know, they, people might call it sex work, and it's not. It's they've been abused and been forced into this situation because of their economics primarily. Um, men have abandoned them or, or the, the spouses died. They've got children. They have to feed them. They have no skills, no means of earning money, and this is what they end up doing. And until the appetite for using these women changes, there will always be work. Yeah. And it's shocking to me um, how many are out on the street. I was recently in Colombia. We're going there next year. And I honestly, I'd never seen anything like it. There were, it was like within, well, it was almost shoulder to shoulder, the women on the street. That was in Bogota. Yeah. yeah. And um, in Kenya, um, they're very open. I think it's in part because Mike has a reputation. People know his name. And if they know that, and, and Impact Nations has a reputation, so if they know that Mike and I are partnering, they know something good's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So on that night, uh, all these women came up into the room, we were there for a while, and they asked really good questions. Um, you know, they're intelligent, they have the same giftings as everyone else, they just disadvantaged. And there was one woman who was really convinced that because she used to know God, but now she'd ended up doing this for earning money that God was finished with her and she she could never go back. Mm. And so even in that kind of a setting with an audience that normally you wouldn't have, to be able to say, God has never left you. You know, you may have turned away, but he's been right there with you. And she just wept, yeah. wept and wept. And so of those, we think we counted 84. We gave them a little gift that we'd prepared and prayed for them. And um, of those 84, that week, 78 women didn't sign up. They have to pay a little due to be on their street to some some guy who's taking advantage. Um, 78 of them said, nope, not, not going to do that anymore. Oh, and at the end of the night, we don't tell them this, but we pay them for their night so right. they don't have to go back out on the street. Um, so that's where some of the ground costs go. Mm. Um, and the, this first happened a few years ago. Mike invited those women to come to the conference. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, Mike, they just got saved. They don't want to come and sit in a Christian conference. And they did. They came. I think the first year was like 54. Um, do, you, do you think that's weird for them? I mean, they, they don't have any weird. biblical literacy. I How know. would they keep Well, up? Or maybe they do in the past. Mm. That's the thing. You can't make that assumption. Fair but the, the funny thing was last year, I now that I know some of the 
um, pastors and so on in Kenya. I know that there's a woman who two nights ago she was selling her body on the street and today she's sitting next to a pastor or a bishop in a conference and neither of them knows hmm. that story about the other. And uh, I just find that fascinating because... The gospel is the great equalizer. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that that conference is amazing. Mike buses in the, the Maasai women. Um, his church pays for them to come and they're fascinating. They come with this attitude of, what can we offer to you? They're not coming to a conference to get something. And so they will sing and dance for us. Um, they had all of my team, I think there were 12 of us, they had us come. We knelt down in front of them. They poured into us in prayer. I tell you, when those women have prayed, and the men, the men come too sometimes. It's supposed to be a women's conference, but I'm not going to turn anyone away. So. <laughs> Um, so that's one thing we do. We always go to the women's prison. We're very well received there. Um, we've done a lot of work in the in the prisons in the crew. Um, so that's a women's one. And then a regular one has, um, we do the medical clinics. We often, in, in Kenya, we do um, prison visits. We, we, there's things like visiting schools, visiting orphanages, uh, old folks' homes, hospitals. Like we'll do whatever. We always say to our host, what do you need? Yeah. We don't tell them what we're coming to do. We say, here are the things that we can do. What can we do to bless you? And then we put the schedule. So I was just on the phone today with Stevie and Ronnie in um, Bulgaria. And uh, that journey's coming up on the 1st. There's only a couple more weeks to sign up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1st of September. Um, and that's going to be so awesome because we're in these Roma villages. And it's a, we're going to have a party, I tell you folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just backing up to the to the women for a second. Uh, I know you were, uh, I can't remember if it was late 2018 or early 2019, but you were in Uganda doing ministry with Annabelle and the girls in their home. Uh, <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> that was rude. So, so Facebook, welcome, Dad. Facebook Live, We're doing say Facebook hi. Live. And again, this is what you get when you are live at Impact hi. Nations. Hi, I we, didn't know they were doing a recording. That is but awesome. Hello, everyone. How are you? Hi. I'll ask you this technical question later. That's a great idea. It's great talking See, to you. You wouldn't oh, get this dear. just just any podcast. Right this right. is the real deal here. Oh dear. Um, so. <laughs> I, uh, you were with Annabelle a few months back and spending time ministering with her girls. And mm-hmm. our listeners know Annabelle because they spent time with her That's right, yeah. uh, last week on last week's episode yeah. of the podcast. So they've heard some of her story. But uh, And I didn't get a chance to ask her this, and I, I wish I had. Maybe one day I'll do a follow-up interview with her. But I'll ask you, when you're encountering these stories that are... Uh, they're heartbreaking. I mean, the the women... Uh, whether you hear stories in, in Kenya of these women who are in prison or on the streets working, uh, these women who are in the shelter uh, who have escaped domestic abuse and things like that, do you ever have to just deal with anger? Like, do you, mm. does anger well up inside of you and you have to wrestle with That's that? That's a really good question. Um, I have to have compassion for the abuser as mm. well as the abused. And I have to pray because that's the only way I can. Yeah. That abusive man is just as much loved by Jesus and Jesus grieves over the things that he's doing and um, so I don't I don't get to encounter the men that much mm-hmm. but I have to be really I have to guard my heart that it, that that anger doesn't build up um, 
you know, the, I have a, obviously a strong sense of justice, and I want these men to be brought to justice when they're abusing yeah. women and girls and boys. And, and um, But that's not my mandate. Um, I can pray for them. Um, I can... You know, there's occasionally we'll be connected somehow. I, I know in Cambodia we got a little bit connected with the police who were trying to bring some prosecution against some kids, and so we did what we could help there. But no, it's for me, I just feel my call is to focus on the women. And mm-hmm. you'd be shocked the effect of a hug and just letting a woman tell her story and sob on your shoulder, and you hug her, and then you pray for her. Um, Last year, uh, I think it was in June, when I was there with a women's team in in Kampala with Annabelle, I, I, I just spent one day uh, ministering to them. And one of the things I talked about was forgiveness. And so a lot of these girls either aren't saved or they're just getting saved. And um, so I just talked about what the Bible says about forgiveness and the importance of it and how to set themselves free, to heal themselves. They need to forgive the people who have abused them. And then I challenged them all to go back to their rooms and to make a list and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to help you make a list of all the people you need to forgive. And tomorrow we're going to come back together. And so what we did was, um, Annabelle said it was really quiet that night in the house and they were processing and crying and writing. And so they come back the next day with their list and we, we prayed through forgiving all these people and then we burned Hmm. the papers was there any resistance to that process like I mean for some people that's got to be harder she said there was some of the girls encouraging one another Hmm. you know so they processed together um, which was really cool because she said she hadn't really seen that before and then we we burned we you know we talked we prayed we burned and then we kind of had a party they like Rolex so we had a Rolex party a Rolex is a watch in America but (laughs) something different there it's a it's a flatbread with egg and onions and sauce, it's really good. And then rolled up, rolled up so it's yeah. eggs rolled, yeah. up, rolled up, roll eggs, Ro- roll, roll eggs. eggs. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't know how that would affect everything. And what Annabelle said was that the tone in the house changed immediately. That was one day of ministry, hmm. but she said they understood not to hold on to their offenses. So even with one another, she said it was just way more peaceful. So this year, I went back in. February and I did the entire seminar with the new batch of girls Mm -hmm. and uh, she really found that beneficial even for the staff Mm -hmm. because they've not been exposed to that kind of ministry so that that's a passion of mine I want to do more of it Um, I'm I'm hoping in November I'm going in when I'm in Nepal I'm going to actually train trainers Um, those that I was interacting with on my scouting trip they haven't actually had a lot of inner healing training so they're dealing with huge numbers of sex trafficking and rescuing and and all of these things but they didn't seem to have the inner healing piece Mm -hmm. and the seminar that I do gives them that in just a really short period of time I mean they can stretch it out and that works great but if they're working with the same people but to do it intensely over a few days it, it brings such a sense of having a clean slate and a fresh beginning. And so I'm looking forward to sharing that with them. Yeah. You've hinted at it a few times, but this is a, one of our values here at Impact Nations is this concept of multiplication and, and training and releasing others to go and do likewise. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've done that. You started with journeys and you, you know, kind of became the the expert, if you will, and then we shifted into, okay, now it's time to multiply yourself so that others can go and do likewise. Yeah. Uh, and now you're starting to do the same with women's ministry right. where it's, yeah. you know, being intentional about 
giving them the tools that they can That's continue right. to master yeah. in your absence. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. And I, you know, I mean, one of the things that Mike Brown says is there's a particular anointing on Impact Nations for certain things. And you've heard that from him. I've heard that from him. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about those things. But I know when I walk into these countries, there's favor. Yeah. Whether it's with our partners or with government people. or And so I have an expectation of God's favor because we're partnering with him. Isn't it amazing that he uses us? I mean, <laughs> that's a deal. <laughs> you know? And so um, I'm going to do all I can to partner with God to not only do the ministry but empower others. Yeah. You, you mentioned being privileged to partner with the Lord. You know, about a year and a bit ago, uh, Bethany and I were hiking in the mountains. You guys had the kids, uh, and we were up, we had three days uh, staying in Colorado. Uh, and we went hiking one day, which is not a thing we normally do, but we survived. Uh, climbed to the top of a mountain in the Rockies, and we were actually sitting right on the Continental Divide. Like there was the pillar right so there, which amazing. was very cool. But you get this incredible view, and you're sitting up at you know whatever we were, like fourteen thousand feet or something, at the top of the Rocky Mountains, and you look around, and it's just Rocky Mountains as far mm-hmm. as the eye can see. And I remember sitting there with her at the top of this mountain, and just thinking, the the God who spoke these mountains into mm-hmm. being called us yep. to be partners with him, you know, and, uh, and I was just reading Ephesians 2.10 this morning, and we are masterpieces created for the good works that he's prepared in advance for us yeah. to do, uh, and it is mind-boggling it to is think mind-boggling. that the, the God who spoke mountains into being yeah. uh, would say, hey, you can, you can come work with me too. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things... We're always inviting people to come on trips, and we often hear like, "Well, I don't have the money, I don't have the time, I don't know how, et cetera, et cetera." And I, I feel like the first question people should always ask is, "Lord, do you want me to do this?" Because if you don't ask God and you just say no because it's not convenient or you don't, you can't afford it, you think you're never going to be part of the adventure. Mm-hmm. But if you ask God and He says yes, then you can um, ask Him, "Okay, how is this going to happen?" and and ask for favor with time off work. Ask for favor with people helping you go financially. You know, there are people who want to go on mission trips and they can't. They're yeah. too old or they, they, they're infirm or whatever. And they may want to help you on your journey. And one of the things that happens to me, you know, from now, we're at first week of July here or second week. From now until almost Christmas, I'm only home six weeks of the year. I'm, I miss so much with kids, you know, grandkids, kids. I'm really glad that that God is watching over them hmm. while he's helping me do the ministry. Yeah. And um, I, I just trust him. You know, I don't, you asked me about fear earlier. I, I, I don't, that's usually not a word that I even use because I just know. I think partly the, the earthquake helped with that. Hmm. You know, if you're in a, in a situation where 300,000 people die and you don't die, then you, you know God's got your back. Yeah. And, um so I, I trust him. I trust him with my family. I trust him with their finances. And uh, so I really want to encourage people. I want to challenge you. If you've always wanted to go on a mission trip and you've never done it, ask the Lord and ask him what country. And um, I have heard so many wonderful testimonies of how God's provided. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah and I mean, as a guy who manages things here, and I, you know, just about everything crosses my desk at one point. And so I get to see actually some people have like a lot of 
friends and family yeah. given just you know 50 bucks here 100 yeah. bucks there or whatever and i know of one guy who this year he didn't pay a dime for his journey because Amazing. just everybody yeah. came around him and said we believe that this is exactly what the lord is doing in your we life we had a guy a in his 80s when we were living up in in abbotsford who but he's a wonderful man he i had supported missionaries all his life and when he encountered us, he decided, all right, I want to go on a mission trip. And so he asked people to support him. I think $5,000 came in. That'll do. I actually paid for two years. Wow. That's awesome. So you never know what God's yeah. going to do. I'm going to pause for a commercial here because I'm, I'm supposed to do that. I'm, it's my show. I should oh. have known that. So I'm going to real quick, we're, I'm going to shift gears because we've talked a lot about journeys of compassion. So today I'm just on the fly. I'm making a decision that um, if you haven't heard of the Elevate Computer Program, uh, I would encourage you to head to our website and check it out. Uh, impactnations.com in the projects list is Elevate Computer Program. Uh, we've just received a couple of videos, uh, written reports from Trinity. Uh, Trinity is our partner. Uh, he, he also goes by Emma, but he, we call him Trinity. Uh, he works in Kampala in the slums. Um, I've been in those yeah, slums. Yeah, as have I. Oh, they're terrifying slums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kids are facing a life of, of gangs and drugs and teenage pregnancy and all those things. And, you know, Trinity was working with uh, people, with mostly women, who were coming on that tail end of that cycle and so women who were in their late 30s who now had four kids and uh you know no prospects uh had you know may have had some addiction issues and things like that and he was working to train them give them some skills some very basic skills so they could go and start their own small businesses and we've done that and that's good but he came to us and said hey could we try some something a little bit more on the preventative side and try and catch them beforehand he said i want to work with kids age 15 to 21 who are facing that option, or we could give them God's best for them. And so he, Trinity dreams big, and I just love it. So he said, what I want to do is teach them in photography, graphic design, or web development, so, and then help provide the space for them to do that, where they could work in a safe space outside of the slum uh, and begin to develop clients here in Kampala and all over the world yep. and give them dignity and hope and all these things. And my goodness, he's doing it. That's he's so got exciting. 15 students aged 15 to 21. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they're doing it. And it's amazing. And they need our help. We, we were able to get the program started. We bought them some computers and things like that. And they're sharing the gospel with them every day. They do Bible studies. I got to join one when I was there a couple months ago. Um, the... The difference that's being made in these lives is quite incredible. Um, there's a new video we're going to release just in a few days uh, that's coming. I've seen the first edit, and it's it's just awesome. Um, but I would encourage you. And they you, made the video. Right? And they make the video. That's yeah. a cool thing. Previous grads of the program are, you know, now they've graduated, they know how yeah. to do video editing, so they're making these videos. Yeah. It's amazing. It's like the women in uh, India sewing the school uniforms exactly. for all the kids exactly. coming out. Yeah. Uh, I love the, the cyclical nature of yeah. these things. So anyway, uh, this is my commercial, I guess, is go check that out. Be encouraged. And if the Lord calls you to give, please give generously. I assure you, uh, the Lord has called Trinity for just such a time and place yeah. as this. Yeah. And is he's bearing much fruit. Yeah. So it's really exciting. So that's the end of my commercial. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. I'm curious to know, and I, I think that probably many of our listeners uh, would be in this situation or will be in this situation at one point in their life, but you and dad have been doing ministry together for how many years? Uh, yeah, since <laughs> probably been not 44. Yeah, so. I was going to say, I'm, I'm just turning 40 this year. So, you know, and I know you guys have been doing it just about as long as I've been around. So, um, 
long time. And you probably learned a few things along the way and probably still learning a few things. And it's probably shifted. Your roles have certainly shifted sure. and continue to shift now. Um, and I don't know, you'd be as real as you want to be, but sure. um, I don't know, what's that like? Is it fun or question. scary or hard? Or? <laughs> let me just preface it with, because I re- realize I'd say, I'd say more about that later and I didn't, so let me just... Mm. Um, so I mentioned that I had to do that substitute teaching job when you kids were uh, in elementary yes. school. And, you know, it started off with me just doing some... I was trained as a music teacher. I've never taught music. but um, So I did some short-term, like, maturity leaves at your school. And then that happened for a couple of years, and then it dried up. And I had to do a different school, different classroom, different kids, different everything every day. I hated it. Mm. <laughs> we needed the money. And I did that for a couple of years, and then uh, your dad and I agreed, you know what, let's just have you helping more with the ministry. And so when we moved back to Vancouver, I didn't do that anymore. What's my job now? Different country, different Mm -hmm. language, different money, different culture, different people, team full of different people that I need to manage. God is very smart. (laughs) (laughs) So even though I hated that job, he used that time to prepare me. Yeah. Exactly. So that's really cool. Um, The dad and I journey is interesting because when I got saved, the church we were in um, was quite hierarchical, quite controlling, and women were of no value. The value was to make your husband look good, raise your children well. And, you know, that's very cut and dried, but that's that's how it felt. When we came into the vineyard, um, there was none of that. But I, had, I was already stamped with that stamp. And it took a lot of years of me trying to find my voice, trying to figure out what am I here for? How do I fit in? And the funny thing is there can still be moments of that. We just finished a couple of weeks in Australia. And the, it's interesting because Steve's such a great speaker and he has, a really, has really important things to say. So I have a tendency to go, no, you just do it. And then he has a ten- tendency to go, why don't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we have to, it's a dance we do, and we, we don't always get it right, and sometimes feelings are hurt, and, you know, it's just, it's not easy. I think one of the reasons that I've, over the last couple of years, been doing more on my own um, was that I needed to find out that I could, um, that I could manage the whole thing, that I could do the preaching, and... Um, and so God's used that as well, you know, just this. So as we raised up other leaders, one or the other of us would go, but not both. And then I, so it's, it's, I'm still learning and growing and I'm 65 and, oh no, 63. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm already thinking about being 65 next yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> next year, you haven't uh, done year. 64 this year and you're worried about 65 next um, year. But how do we manage that? You have to talk. You have to communicate. You have to be willing to say that hurt my feelings. You have to be willing to say that's not what I meant. You, have, you know, and so talk and not fight it out. Um, get friends' perspective. You know, sometimes that's helpful. I think. I mean, one of the things that I did wrong in the early years, I'm a very, I am a very practical and logistic oriented person, but I'm also, I think I'm pretty sensitive to the spirit, people wise, mm-hmm. and so. I could see a train wreck coming, coming, and I, I wasn't always discreet in the way that I described that, and so, you know, I had to learn not to correct him in public, or and, and but I also had to learn to speak up, and that was hard for me. I had to find my voice, and um, I think we're over that hurdle now, um, and so now that I'm training up others, 
uh, and releasing it to them, I feel like I'm going to be on a new learning curve because I'm not exactly sure what it looks like. Um, I've had a, a passion for prostituted women since, I don't know when, early 2000s, um, just because of some things that happened in Vancouver and my friend Trisha, who's my hero, and um, just all that she's done with her life to um, affect the laws in Canada and rescue women and... Um, you know, we still, I still mentor her today. And so that gave me that heart. And then as my eyes were open and I saw what was actually going on, um, it's really something that is important to me. So, um, and I do enjoy doing, you know, women's retreats or conferences or whatever. So there's a little bit of everything there, but dad's really good at releasing me. Like he just, yeah, you go do it. That's fine. But it means more time apart and that's hard. Hmm. Um, I think between now and Christmas we'll be apart about six weeks, so that's not fun. No. But it's the cost of this season. Of this season? Yeah. yeah. That, I think that's why I'm already thinking 65, because I'm like, <laughs> I've been warning this guy. Indeed. <laughs> I'm yeah. backing up. Yeah, so we're working hard at training your <laughs> replacement here yeah. so that uh, we're ready to go. Um, I mean, I think probably one of the most marvelous things that's come out of all of this just personally is the friendships. And I mean, when someone like, when people like Randeep and Anu Matthews call you mom and dad, like who gets that? Yeah. I really resisted that. I didn't want to blow it. They had such huge influence and they said, no, we just want you to love us. And so I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, checking up with different people that we mentor or parent and giving them some guidelines and praying with them over the phone. And that's really important to me. Yeah. I want more time for that. There, there would be a tension, I would think, at times. I mean, as the Journey of Compassion director, and these you've mentioned Randeep, you've mentioned Mike. Uh, you mentioned Stevie and Ronnie, yeah. Annabelle. These people all host us yes. when we're on Journeys of Compassion. That's right. Which means there's probably times of tension where... You know, you're like, yeah, I got a team of 30 people who are counting on you, buddy. Uh, you know, how, do, how does that work? Is it difficult? Well, there was that, that bus company in India, and the slogan on the side of it was, service worth waiting for. And wait, we did, and it wasn't worth waiting for. I mean, who picks that for a bus oh. slogan? I mean, there are times, there's always a pushback. You know, they, they know the needs of their people. They, they, they want to maximize our time. And so one of the most common pushbacks is on our worship and prayer in the morning. Mm -hmm. They want us to be on the ground running at 9 o'clock. And I just say, it's not going to happen. Because most hotels won't service breakfast until 7. Yeah. And we need like 7.30, 7.45 for an hour. We need that worship and prayer. That's where we are lifting up to him our praises, where he's filling us with his Holy Spirit, where we're praying for one another, where we're, we have, Sue Walker does an amazing prayer declaration for every country that we say out loud yeah. over the, it's, Yeah, she's it's amazing. so powerful. We're going to have Sue on on the podcast oh, hopefully good. in a few weeks too. Um, we just found out that we're going to go, um, I, did I tell you this, up in Plovdiv, we're going to go up to the, a mountain right near there and overlook the city and pray over the city before we start the oh, journey. Oh, has Sue heard that? Yeah, she's going to no. love it. <laughs> she doesn't That's amazing. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so that's a big pushback. Um, sometimes things, like last year's, one of the countries, the hotel was just not good. That You know, that happens. Um, communication is always, I think, the biggest issue. It's hard for me because I'm away so much that mm -hmm. then try and stay connected with our partners and check up on the details. So I'm glad I'm getting some office support here now for that. Um, and even on the ground, there's times... Um, I remember in Tanzania, we spent the whole first day. This was not part of the plan, 
But Mike was helping organize everything, and he said, you need to come with me with two or three delegates. He told me who they should be to go to the government people because they're resisting us. And we spent that entire, at least a morning, if not more, we literally went to three different government offices, sat down, told our story all over again, yeah. assured them. Um, so those kind of logistics can be challenging. Um, and I have to be able to say no. You know, if they're pushing us too hard, um, you know, we can't do two-hour drive, do a medical clinic, outdoor meeting, two-hour drive back every day. I'll do that once on a journey, maybe, hopefully at the end, you know, so we're not. So Exhausting yourself. We're not exhausted. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that, yeah, those are kind of pushback yeah. things. You know, I, I think one of the other really helpful things with medical clinics uh, is, and I've seen this in India at least, uh, is that sometimes that's actually the best way just to um, play politics, if you will. Mm -hmm. Some of the local politicians, because that's their opportunity that's to right. stand up yeah. in front of a large gathering of people who have come for this very basic yeah. felt need medical clinic and the politician can stand up and say i have invited impact nations <laughs> right. and aren't i great to make you know they cut the ribbon yeah. with us and and then they disappear and they're gone yeah. and, and that's fine which you know we need those mm. we need their endorsement yeah. a lot of times because yeah. it opens things up that's suddenly right. people feel like well, oh, and these also people are accepted and safe. we have to make sure we're following their regulations mm -hmm. and uh, so there's some countries we can bring medicine in there's other countries we we can't and we have to buy it all we try to buy it all in country but sure. Those kinds of things, like we don't want to be crossing their rules. We don't want to, you know, some countries where we can do a more, a, a larger open air meeting, others where we, it needs to be more subtle. So um, our local people are really important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we've got some amazing partners. Yeah, sure and that's do. why we're doing this thing, so people can yeah. get to know all these things that go on behind the scenes yeah. that maybe they don't realize. Yeah. Um, our time is winding down, and poor Isaiah has been working hard to keep these around an hour, so I'm going to. Give them a break okay. and try to end it right at 60 minutes. Okay. Um, is there anything else that you really wanted to share with people that we haven't had a chance to talk about? No, but I think one thing people could do is write in their questions. Hmm. And, yeah. you know, just in the comments, just ask me what you want to ask me. Yeah, and or uh, just fire away at journeys at impactnations.com. Yeah. Uh, would be a great place to yeah. write as well. That gets right to our journey team. And we we try and do a really good job. If you're feeling, if you've never traveled, and we've had lots of people like that, we try to do a really good job of giving you everything you need, um, both leading up to the journey, so helping with your flights and everything, organize that, um, but also um, just answering all your questions. And, you know, you can, one of the things I tell people is you can arrive in the airport and for the moment you exit customs, which we've prepared for you for, how to go through that, you know, we'll hand you a bottle of water and you could literally go through the whole trip with 20 bucks in your pocket and go home with that same 20 bucks in your pocket. Like we really try to take care of everything. And I'm, people are constantly thanking me for the amount of work we put into the logistics so mm -hmm. it runs smoothly. And, you know, as long as you're prepared for those glitches that can happen that are outside of our control, um, you know, we've had times when they said, no, you can't do that tomorrow. And so we've had to change plans. Um, but we do really try to help you. We understand just because I fly all the time doesn't mean that you ever have. And so we want to make it easy for you. I, I remember Bethany and I were on the second ever official journey right, of compassion yeah. to Dominican Republic. And I remember the, the motto for that journey was flexibilidad, which was... <laughs> Spanish-ish. I tell uh, people for at flexibility. The, yeah, yeah. At, at the orientation, I tell them there is now a new fruit of the spirit. It's called flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to exercise that probably more oh. than anybody else on the team. <laughs> Apologies to those that I haven't. But <laughs> yeah. um, 
Well, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time My to, pleasure. Glad let it us get to know out. you a little bit uh, and have fun in Canada, I think, is your next stop. Uh, uh, yeah, some of that. Some of that, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, maybe we'll catch up with you again soon. Great. As I said, if, if people do have questions, uh, they can just write journeys at impactnations.com and they'll, they'll reach our, our team here who do manage the journeys. And you've got a whole team of people who help you put all that together. Um, I would encourage people come on a journey. Uh, impactnations.com slash JOC, which stands for Journeys of Compassion. Uh, and you'll see the list of journeys and links to articles about why we go. And uh, there's links to start a journey savings account. There's uh, instructions on how to fundraise for your journey. We've got all sorts of resources. That there. journey savings account is great because yeah. you can start putting monthly money aside and we'll hold it for you. And then you decide where you, you want to go. You decide which journey you want to put it on. Um, we've got journeys coming up to Bulgaria. I tell you what, if you are listening to this podcast, I'm going to give you a little deal. All right. Uh, the early registration deadline has come and gone. That was on July 1st. Uh, the registration is open until August 1st. Uh, and typically, after the early registration deadline, the price goes up by $100. If you are listening to this podcast... If you register for the journey, you'll find a little promo code box. And if you type in Bulgaria19, uh, we will give you the early registration cost. Good deal. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast, then there you go. See, there's a reason you put up with all this oh, stuff. Oh, but I need to say oh. that there's only 31 spots. That's the absolute Ooh. maximum we can take. I That's found right. that out today. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. Well, then get on it, folks. Don't miss your chance. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty full yeah, already. We're getting yeah. close. Yeah. So if you were on the fence or you know you're coming and you just haven't got around to filling out that form, for Pete's sake, fill out the form. Yeah. You yeah. don't want to miss it. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Um Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners for being here. Uh, It's been another great episode of the Impact Nations podcast, and we'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye. God bless.